I saw an article recently that was talking about how Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell are two of the richest uh, men in Hollywood. And I started thinking through the films that they make, and they, most of their films are all the same character, right? And both of them play the same character. They both play a grown adult who hasn't grown up yet, right? I mean, is that what all those, did y'all pick up that theme as you went through? It was, it was the same character in each film. Now, I know each of them branched out and tried their hand and a few other things, but what made them their money was adults who hadn't grown up yet. And I, I would say as a movie, it's funny. In real life, not so much. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. We've been going through a series called Wholehearted, where when Jesus was asked what's the most important thing or what's the most essential thing, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we see something else in the Old Testament talking about uh, what it means to wholeheartedly follow after God. And so it was off of those two concepts that the logo of our church w- was formed. And so there's four interlocking hearts. It's a heart that goes up towards God to love God. We prim- primarily express that through our time of worship of Him. And then we have the two hearts going either side. We have uh, the love we show to others that we're doing life with, expressing community, the love we show others, like we talked about last week, where, whether they're doing that in Nicaragua or here, uh, through giving and serving. This morning, though, we're going to be talking about taking personal responsibility for our own maturity and growth. Now, when I was in seminary, we all had this idea, all of us you know, in school there, we all had this idea that we would go out and be pastors of churches full of uh, maturing Christians and we'd reach out the world for Christ. And all of us ended up in a church situation similar to the one I was in, in which I remember in a business meeting and having a 30-minute discussion over who would move a rocking chair in a kid's room. See, we shared the school building. We had a school that met there, and our, we had, it was our church building, and we also had an elementary school that met in the building. And there was always a conflict between the two, and one group wanted the rocking chair in the left corner, one wanted it in the right corner, and there was a big argument as to where it was going to be, and we had to settle this for 30 minutes at a business meeting. Really? Really? There, there's not a single mature adult in this room who can just say, it doesn't matter. No, no, not at all. We're going to fight over it. And that's the reality in, in a lot of churches today. It's because we don't put a big emphasis on growing up. Uh, in our movies, we think it's funny. In our churches, it just becomes acceptable. And you don't see that anywhere in scriptures. God always wants us to move forward in our faith, to grow and to mature and develop in our faith. And, and you'll see as, as Paul is writing to churches, churches like the one in Corinth, he says, I really wish I could talk to you like an adult, but you guys are just spiritual babies. If you go over into Hebrews 5, same thing. He says, I wish you all would grow up, but you're acting like spiritual babies. And and you see Jesus with his disciples. He keeps on looking at him. He's like, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to tell you? Will you guys just not get it? Will you guys just not get it? And and it's not until after Jesus leaves that finally they realize, hey, guys, it's on us. It's on us to to lead this movement. He's really put this in our hands. And and you see a maturity that, that happens in their lives. And so Peter struggled with this as much as anybody. And so when Peter is writing uh, his second letter in 2 Peter, he talks to them right in the opening of it in chapter 1 about the need to grow up in, in Christian maturity. And so he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure— you will keep from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to kind of begin at the end there where he says, it will keep you from being 
uh, ineffective and unproductive. Uh, the words there would be translated literally as useless and unfruitful. Uh, and that's kind of what happens. When all you do, uh, if your entire Christian life is nothing more than, I got saved, I became a Christian, I now have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, great. What good is that of anybody else at all? I mean, it barely is even good enough for you or, or does you any good. If all you do is, well, simply believe, James looks at that and he goes, that doesn't make you any better than a demon at this point. It's got to go beyond that. And so often there are people who are, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, they're saved and they'll go to heaven, but only as one barely escaping through the flames. I don't like that picture. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in your life. And so he, he lays out here what, what Christian growth looks like as he goes through this. And so he says, for this reason, make every effort, strain as hard as you can to add to your faith. So when he talks about faith at the beginning, uh, one of our series last fall, we talked about the nature of faith. Um, and how this is not just a simple belief. Uh, this is a word kind of like um, where it's intertwined. It's a relational trust in the same way that in marriage. What's more important in marriage, love or trust? Trust or love? Anybody? Trust. Okay. So, so you can just trust somebody, but you don't need to have any love for them? Can you really separate the two? I mean, can you have a healthy marriage if you just have one or the other? It, it's not, are not both of them sort of intertwined? Like the love is because of the trust and the trust is because of the love. Aren't those sort of all wrapped up in what it means to be married? As we talked about last, last fall, uh, this is what the word faith is. It's not belief. Uh, don't ever, and sometimes because we don't translate the word faith very well, sometimes we translate as belief. It's not belief. It's a relational trust. So we talk about this life as about nothing more than having a loving relationship with God. That loving relationship is the same word faith, the same word love. Uh, it, it's all brought in there, this concept. And so he says you need to add to your faith. In other words, add to the idea that you have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ will last for all eternity. You need to add to that. And the word add to that is actually a, a really neat word. Uh, it, it's a word that originally... Uh, there's like the, the, the heart of the word is the word chorus. It's, it's a chorus leader. You think, okay, that's kind of an odd thing. The, the picture was back in Greek theater, uh, the guy who was the chorus leader, like remember how Charlie Brown would run the play, right? Well, it was on Charlie Brown to get everything ready for the play, so Charlie Brown had to go get the Christmas tree because he had to supply for the, the thing. That's what the chorus leader would do back in Greek theater. He'd be the one who would also go out and get all of the supplies needed, get everything for the backdrops, get everything for the costumes, and he would supply everything that the actors needed to put on a good show. Well, that word then later on got used in military, that it would become the person who, it was used of the person who would supply the army with everything they need to advance. And it's funny, if, if you ever, if you don't know what a supply officer is, sometimes in times of peace, they get sort of a, oh, they're that kind of quirky person over there who's an accountant. Yeah, you can make fun of them all you want until you see a 40-mile-long convoy that doesn't have any food or gas, and you go, huh, I think we should have those supply officers. I think they do a pretty good job. They're really necessary in the military, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. Somebody, I think, is wanting one of those right now. That's the word he's using here. It's this word for a supply officer, for, for a stage manager who supplies everything you need. He says, you need to take your faith and give your faith everything it's going to need to succeed. And what it needs to succeed is growth. It needs to mature. It needs to grow up. And so he says, make every effort to supply or to add to, to grow your faith. And then he goes through a whole list of like what this looks like or what these things are. Um, and he says in there, um, add to it goodness. Uh, this is a word that meant uh, the highest virtue one could have. 
Uh, that which is just a noble act that is pure. Do things that are noble and pure. Uh, Peter also uses this word over in the first letter he writes in First Peter chapter 2. He says, you all are a chosen pe- priesthood, or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, uh, a holy nation. He says, God's special possession, in order that you might, and here he is, declare the goodness of him who brought you out of darkness into light. That word goodness is the same word. Uh, the goodness of God. What was the goodness of God? The fact that he left heaven enthroned, he came down here, born in a manger, lived at a time where there was no indoor plumbing or air conditioning. That always blows my mind, really. If you're God, you could come at any time. Really, you're going to come when there's not indoor plumbing and air conditioning. That's how much he humbled himself for us. He comes down as a man, lives among us, lives a sinless life, and then gives his life over to us as a sacrifice for our sin. Is there any more noble deed than that? And so it says we might declare the nobility or the goodness of God of what he's done for us. So this is the same word he's using. He says, when you begin your Christian life, just start by doing something good. Just start by having a, an aspiration to be a good person unlike what you've been in the past. Just, just have an aspiration to do that which is good. Just begin there, if nothing else. Even if you don't know anything else, can you just do what is good? Like, I, I like where Google began. Google began as a company who their motto was, do no evil. That's a great motto, isn't it? That's like the prayer of Jabez, that, Lord, that you would you know, bless me, those you enlarge my territory, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. Uh, the very first step in the beginning walk of a Christian life is to simply have an aspiration to do what is good. I used to do what was bad, but I just want to do what is good, that you would aspire towards goodness. And he says, to add to this goodness something you're desperately going to need, knowledge. Well, how do you know what is good? Well, that's the problem with humanity. We don't always know what is good. What was the first sin? They ate from the tree of... What was that tree called? It was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. The idea there was is that they wanted to believe that they knew what was good and what was evil on their own. So beginning in Christian maturity is realizing, I don't know what is good. I don't know what is evil. I need to look to God to be my source of understanding what is good and what is evil because if I only pursue what I think is good, I'm going to make a lot of bad decisions. Can I get an amen on that one? Testimony of somebody who's made that mistake. So how do we find out what truly is good? We have to get the knowledge of that. Here's the thing about knowledge. It ain't easy to get. It doesn't happen overnight, right? Knowledge takes time. Uh, education takes time. Learning takes time. Uh, in the same way that, you know, like we had this like scare last week that, oh my gosh, spring's almost here. My body's not ready. And then this week we're like, oh, thank God, it's a long ways away. <laughs> Because we know we can't get in, in bathing suit shape in two weeks, right? In the same way, you can't get biblically fit in two weeks. You can't cram enough to know enough to make wise choices overnight. It takes time to learn and to grow. Uh, and by the way, one hour a week in here is not enough. It's just not enough. You need far more than that. One of the reasons why we always push small groups is because in small groups, it's, a, it's an accountability setting where other people help push you into getting into God's work week in and week out. Now, like in our men's group, I'll publicly shame you if you didn't read. I mean, after all, you can listen to the Bible, right? Like, I look at you like, you don't even have to spend five minutes reading it. You could have listened to it on your way here. Seriously, is there any, been any easier time ever to learn the Word of God than it is now? Uh, if you don't have version on your phone, what are you even doing with it, <laughs> right? 
version. You can look it up. It's on every platform. Uh, it was created by, I think, Life Church out in Oklahoma. Uh, I think every translation that you could need is on there. It will read you the Bible. If you don't want to read it for yourself, it'll audibly read the thing to you. On top of that, there's Bible studies on there that you can use. You can actually do a Bible study with somebody else who lives in a different city somewhere else in the country, and it'll actually tell you if they've actually done the Bible study that day. Accountability is built right in. And sometimes there's even like discussion questions where you can answer it and they can answer it. If you can see, hey, it's 10 o'clock at night, you can send text, hey man, you gonna do your, uh, your reading for the day? Hadn't done it yet. We need that kind of accountability. If you want knowledge, you gotta pursue it. And the only way to pursue it is, is to study. There's no shortcut to this. And so often I hear people say, well, I'm just not being fed. Who needs to be fed? Babies, exactly. Somebody figured it out. When somebody says, oh, I'm just not being fed, Pastor, I just want to look back and I go, well, you big baby, why don't you feed, you eat your, you know, feed yourself once in a while? If this is all you're getting, it's not going to be enough. And you can take that in the soundbite if you want and slam me with it. I don't care. But you could go out and have the biggest feast out at King George's Buffet or what is that? What is that? What's it? Big, big George's? Prince George's? What is it? Captain George's. I know he was some title. <laughs> some fancy guy. You could go to Captain George's big old seafood buffet, gorge yourself today. Is that going to be enough to last you all week? No, you can be hangry later this week. And in the same way, this isn't enough for you. You got to be learning on your own. You need to pursue knowledge. The only way you're ever going to grow up to the point where your faith is of any use to you is if you grow in your knowledge. And that takes time. That takes dedication. So pursue goodness, but also seek out knowledge and then add to that knowledge, he says, self-control. Add to that knowledge, self-control. The, the word that's used here is a word that was used of athletes who would be in training for an event. Uh, I remember seeing a picture online of a, I didn't know you had to be in that good a shape for it because it was just like a backyard game, badminton. But if you actually watch competitive badminton, them people are like agile, nimble. They're like fairies running around on the thing. You know, they fly all over. I didn't mean that derogatory. They fly all over the place with that thing. There's a picture of a badminton player right after he had finished his competition in the Brazil Olympics, and he had gone out to McDonald's. The man ordered four 20-piece McNuggets. What's that in the math? 80 McNuggets, two McChickens, a Big Mac, a quarter pounder, six large fries, and six brownies. I think what he was doing was making up for the past four years where he didn't have any. And that's what he was saying. He says, I haven't had this in a long time as I was training for the Olympics. And that's what the word here is. It's somebody who has the kind of self-control to say, no, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not going to have dessert. No, I'm not going to drink that. That kind of dedication is what it takes to be an elite athlete. That's the kind of dedication it takes to move towards holiness and say, no, I'm not going to do that. The self-control. Uh, I saw the word, I saw a little phrase that said, adulting is doing what you need to do rather than what you want to do. Is it, isn't that what it is? Like, I, I don't want to do laundry. I don't want to clean the house. I don't want to do any of that. So sometimes I'll ask my, you know, my kids will come down, and will be chores that they got to do, and they'll be like, oh, I don't want to do that. You think I do? And you know what they say back? Well, you're dad. It's like, you're an adult. Of course you do all of this. I don't do it all because I want to. Adulting is about doing what I need to. And as you grow up in your faith, you move from I'm just going to do what I want to do to I'm going to do what I 
need to do. The path to maturity is doing what you need to do more than what you want to do. And you need to think through your life as the decisions I'm making, is it what I want to do or is it what I need to do as I'm growing towards maturity? Um, so he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance. Uh, the truest test of any relationship is perseverance. Uh, this is a word we learned in our uh, last series about getting past the past. James uses it over in James chapter 1 when he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face various kinds of trials, because we know uh, that the trials is the testing of faith that produces perseverance. Uh, it's a word that, re- that means to remain under, remain under difficult hardship. In other words, when everybody else wants to quit, you don't. When everybody else would give up, you don't. When other people wouldn't forgive, you do. You don't give up, you don't walk away, you stick with it. One of the things we all need to do is raise our quit tolerance to the point where nothing will stop us. Uh, on Monday nights in our men's group, we're studying the book of Job right now. And the whole jo- book of Job is all about a question of perseverance, of endurance. Uh, and you'll see this, this is a theme you'll see throughout Scripture. Who are those that truly have a relationship with God? The ones who endure. It's not about how you start, but it's about how you finish, or rather, who's there at finish? Because a lot of people can start. When the going's good, everybody wants to be a part of it. When success is easy, everybody wants to be a part of it. When the money's rolling in, everybody wants to be a part of it. But who's still there when everything goes south? Your true friends, the ones who really love you, the ones who are true believers, that's who's really there. I mentioned in that series last last time is, why would God allow trials to come into your life? So you can know. Because the worst thing ever is for you to get before heaven, the, the scariest verse in all of Scripture is in Matthew 7, 21, where it says, many will walk into my presence on that day and say, oh, Lord, Lord, what's up? And I'll say, I don't know you. If that's not a scary verse, I don't know what is. At that point, it's too late. Don't you want to know before that time that you truly have a relationship with him? The only way you really know is when you go through a trial and you don't walk away, Right? That's when you say, we know who my real friends are, right? We don't say that after I won the lottery. Oh, I won the lottery, now I know who my real friends are. No, when you lose everything and you're in need, that's when you know who your real friends are. And that was the story of Job. Satan walks in and goes, he don't love you. He don't have a real relationship with you. He's just here for all the good stuff. And God says, no, that's not the nature of it. This is a relationship that will endure. This is a relationship that lasts. This is a true relationship. And so what ends up happening is God allows Job to lose his house, lose his family, lose his job, lose his wealth. He still has a wife, but he's got a real bad marriage. He still has friends, but they all betray him. And he also loses his health. He's, he's lost everything. But the one thing Job doesn't do is walk away from God. And the whole book, there's sort of this tension, like, is he going to, is he going to? He gets mad at God, he gets frustrated at God, he's confused with God but he continues to pursue after God. The verse we looked at this past week was, though he slay me, yet will my hope be in him. He might kill me, but I don't have any other hope. I don't have any other option. I'm not walking away. I'm not going anywhere. That was the faith of Job. It was a, it was a faith that endured. And as you move towards Christian maturity, what happens is your quit tolerance increases. The younger you are in life, typically the more you want to quit. Right? That's why you don't always like, stomp your kids in, in games when they're young, right? Because you don't want them to get discouraged. You know, you want them to kind of stick with it. So I would always do that. I'd, I'd let my kids get up close and then I'd beat them. <laughs> I still do that as long as I possibly can. Don't beat me every once in a while on something, but I don't like it. 
But I don't want to discourage them. I want to increase their tolerance before they get to the point where they say, I quit, I'm not going to do it anymore. And, and as you grow in your maturity and your relationship with God, you need to grow in your ability to endure. Now, you'll see that theme all throughout Scripture. When you get to the final book in Revelation, it says, who are these? These are those who have endured. That's what he says about those who walk into heaven. He says, so we add to our self-control, perseverance. And to per- perseverance, we add godliness. Uh, the simplest way I could explain godliness, it's a word that means reverence. And the simplest way I would explain uh, godliness is a practical awareness of God's presence in your life. A practical awareness of God's presence in your life. Moses is out watching his sheep out in the middle of the wilderness, and he sees a burning bush. He comes over there, uh, and he hears the voice from the bush say, Moses, remove your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. Or if you're at night of worship, I shared a, a passage from Jacob when Jacob has this dream, the Jacob's ladder of the angels ascending and descending, and he wakes up from the dream, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. I just was not aware of it. And so often, we're not aware of the fact that God is at work in our life, and God is always present in our life, and the phrase you'll see God he say over and over again in Scripture is, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. And godliness is where you begin to realize God is with me. And you have, you have a constant, persistent awareness of God's presence. If you look at the story of Joseph, his brothers sell him out. He gets sold as a slave. He then excels as a slave, but then he's sold out by uh, the family that he's a slave to, and they put him in prison. But every single time along the path, Joseph embraces every situation he's put in. But what does he keep saying? He says, for Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. He had this awareness of God's presence in his life, even when things were going difficult. He lived a life that was godly, that continues to say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know you're here with me. I know you're going to work this out for the good. I know that your plans you have for me are plans to prosper me and bring me a good future, even though right now it looks pretty grim and I don't know what you're doing. I just trust that there's something here that you're going to be at work in and you're going to use me in some way, shape, or form. It's living your life with a godly, eternal perspective. The perspective that says, I know that this life's about nothing more than my loving relationship with him that lasts for all eternity, so whatever's put before me, I will endure it, I will embrace it, and I will, I will move forward in it. That's what a godly perspective is in life. And then he says, and add to this perseverance and godliness and the godliness add. These last two we go together. There's mutual affection and love. Uh, he actually uses the two, the two primary words for love you see in scripture is phileo and agape. He says add to that phileo and then add to the phileo agape. Uh, and there's a build that happens in our love towards God and love for others. Now what Jesus wants for us is to agape God and agape others. So oftentimes we think we have an agape, but we really have a phileo. And what do we mean by that? Agape is where you have a selfless, sacrificial love. It is a complete you before me. The problem is, it's really hard to know when we really love somebody sacrificially. Because so oftentimes, the love that we have is self-serving. Because I get something out of it. I enjoy what I'm getting out of that relationship. Uh, Most notably, Peter stands up at the Last Supper And he says, Jesus, even if everybody else falls away, I won't. And he looks at Peter, he's like, Peter, are you saying you love me more than everybody else? Oh, yeah, God, I'm here to the end. And at that point, his love for Jesus was based more on the pride that he was better than everybody else. So what happens? Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me. You do not even know me three times before tomorrow. And sure enough, he does. And he feels dejected, and he feels defeated, and he thinks God couldn't, couldn't use him anymore. And so he goes back to fishing after Jesus is crucified on the cross. And when he's out fishing, Jesus once again calls him from the beach. And he has this miraculous catch of fish. He comes into the shore. And Jesus asks him, he says, Peter, do you agape me? 
And Peter, with a sober reality of what just all went down, he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. I don't agape you. I don't selflessly, sacrificially love you. If I did, I'd have stood by you, and I probably would have been crucified with you. Wouldn't that have been cool? To get crucified with Jesus and then probably raised with Jesus the next day? That'd be pretty cool. Or to be crucified with him like the thief on the cross and say, today you'll be with me in paradise? That'd be pretty cool. But nope, Peter bailed. And so when Jesus says, do you got by me? He says, no, you know, you know, you know God, I just flail you. And he says, that's right, I still want to use you. I still want you to feed my sheep. So, Jesus, so Peter, do you agape me? It's like, come on, we've been through this. I phileo you. It's like, that's all right, I still want you to lead this. So the third time Jesus says, all right, Peter, do you phileo me? He says, yeah, I phileo you. He says, all right, that's why I want you to lead this thing. And then he goes on to tell him, one day you will be crucified just like I was. One day you'll agape me the way I've agape you. One day you'll sacrificially give your life like I've given, you, given, given mine to you. You'll grow into that. The idea here was as Peter realized he wasn't as mature as he thought he was, and he grew from phileo to agape. And he's here looking to others. He's saying, listen, in your growth, in your relationship with God, you're going to grow from phileo towards agapeo, if you want to know the Greek pronunciation, from, from phileo to agape. You'll, you'll grow from one to the other, and it takes time. And you'll think you're there, but then you become selfish again. And you'll think you're, you're really exceeding at this, but then when somebody says, hey, can you come over and help? I'm just too tired. I'm not going. Or, hey, can you give to this? No, I don't have money for myself. I feel like I'm broke. There'll be times where you don't want to love the way Jesus Christ is loved. And he says, I know. It takes maturity. It takes growth. It takes time to move from phileo to agape. But we need to be growing in our love for one another so we can move from phileo to agape. So he says, move from mutual affection on into love. And so he says, so if you possess these things, and here's the thing, in increasing measure, in increasing measure, another way of saying that is bit by bit, little by little. It's a picture that Christian growth doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, you don't just, you know, take some big injection and all of a sudden, bam, you're ready to go. It takes time. These, these things happen bit by bit. You, like Peter, you, you think you're there and then you realize you fail and you get back up and you try again. And you go and you fail and then you get back up again. And you try, and you try, and you try, and it takes time to mature in this. He says, so the goal is to be increasing in this over time. Not to, as Paul would say, not that I've already arrived, not that I'm already there. I just continue to press on, he says in Philippians 3. I just continue to press on, I continue to grow bit by bit. I want to grow in my maturity. I don't know all the Bible I want to know, but I'm growing. I'm learning. I can always learn more. I'm not as loving as I should be, but I'm getting better than I used to be. And I'm more and more loving. I'm not as self-controlled as I want to be, but I'm more self-controlled than I once was. In, in increasing measure, there is growth. And when you're doing these increasing measures, it keeps you from being useless and unfruitful. It keeps your faith in Jesus Christ from becoming useless and unfruitful. If you ever got to the point where you think, what's the point of going to church? In other words, your faith is useless and unfruitful. When you go through a difficult time, you don't have the hope that help, can help you endure. Why? Because you haven't been cultivating it all along. When you're facing temptation and you don't know what to do, what did Jesus do every time he faced temptation? He quoted scripture. Satan misquoted it to him, and then he, then he correctly quoted. And only because he had the knowledge to do so. And you think, well, yeah, it's because he was Jesus, right? But if you go to Luke 2, it says that Jesus grew in his knowledge and wisdom. In other words, he didn't cheat. He had to learn it all just like you and I did. He just spent the time to actually learn it. And he grew and he matured in the same way he's calling us to grow and mature. If you want to get the most out of your relationship with God, you got to grow up. Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler, funny. But in reality, if you really knew somebody like that, 
pathetic. I don't want that to be of your life. Would you join with me as we close our time in prayer? Father, may we hear your call to grow in our relationship with you and grow towards maturity. Father, every one of us has some growing here to do. Every one of us has had moments where we felt like Peter, where we finally arrived and were there, only to have life humble us. So, Father, may we pursue, Father, a growth in our relationship with you and take responsibility for it, not pawn that off to anybody else or blame anybody else for it. Just to begin with, just to pursue what is good. To make a dedication, make, make, a, make a commitment to be dedicated to study your word. To make decisions on what I need to do rather than what I want to do. To grow in my godliness. And to grow in my love from just a phileo kind of love to an all-giving sacrificial kind of love that your son Jesus Christ displayed for us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.